And while you're getting turned to Psalm 100, I'm going to give you the lay of the land, all right? Because this morning is our last sermon in our Psalm series. We land the plane. I know it's been a, it's been a wonderful series. And that means that when you come back next Sunday, I'm going to be talking about where we're headed next. And here's the thing. Uh, with utmost sincerity, I am saying to you right now, I'm inviting our church to come back next Sunday because I have a word that I feel like I want to share with our church that the Lord has been pressing on my heart. And I, and I need the church to gather to share this word. I'm not only going to tell you what we're going to study next. By the way, I'm telling you that next week. So come back next week. But I'm not, I'm not going to tell you. I'm not only going to tell you what we're studying. I'm going to tell you why I believe it is we're supposed to study this particular book. Come back for that next Sunday. But today, let's open for the very last time ever in your life to the book of Psalms. Go there. Psalm 100, please. And it seems so fitting that we would end this series of lessons in the Psalms with a theme that we've chosen today. And that theme is the theme of gratitude. We're going to talk about Thanksgiving today. It's so fitting after an amazing summer, learning how to pray, learning how much of a gift the Psalms are, that we would end our series talking about gratitude. Did you know that there's probably very few things that will be more life-giving that you could do in your prayer life than to learn how to say thank you to God. So simple. But just to learn how to say, God, thank you, and to say it with depth and to say it with deeper meaning and to say it using words that God himself has inspired, given us as a way to express gratitude. So beautiful. I wonder, are you learning? Are you growing as a person of gratitude. I'm going to show my cards this morning and tell you that today, when I talk about gratitude, I'm not so much talking about gratitude as an emotion. I'm going to be talking about gratitude as a discipline, something that we have to practice. Because I don't know about you, but sometimes I know in my head that I ought to be thankful and I ought to be saying thank you to God, but I'm not always feeling it. It's like my heart hasn't caught up with my head. And I think that the wisdom of Scripture says that's why you need to learn to practice gratitude. Sometimes as you lean into something as a practice, your heart will catch up to your mind and your actions. Amen? Isn't that a good word? That's what we're going to learn this morning. Hey, River West, we're living in an age that is literally pounding the gratitude out of us. We're living in an age, we're living in a culture we're living in a, in, a, in a time in the world that is, poses a constant threat to the sense of gratitude. Did you know that our entire economy is based on you feeling discontent with what you've got? <laughs> Amen? Isn't that true? It's like if the, if, the, if, the, if the advertisers can make you feel bad about what you've got, you'll buy something new. This week, Apple released images of the brand new iPhone XR Max. And the moment I saw the images, I felt bad about my life, right? <laughs> Look at that. 
I saw that in my inbox and I pulled out my archaic, you know, old iPhone 7 that's only a year old. And I felt bad about my life, you know? And I thought if I get that phone, things will make sense again, whatever, you know, I'm overstating it. But isn't that the way of the world? The world says, if, if you just change your circumstances, if things just change with what you've got or what's right under your nose, then you'll be grateful. Then you'll be thankful. Will you though? I came across a poem a couple years ago that I love. It was written by a 14-year-old young man named Jason. It's called Present Tense. I love this. Listen to the words of this poem. He writes, It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air, clearly not an Oregonian, but we'll let it pass. <laughs> it was fall, but it was winter I wanted. Beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. Candlelight Christmas Eve services, 2, 4, and 11 p.m. Anyway, <laughs> it, was, it was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted, freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted, <laughs> the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, the presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Present tense by Jason, 14 years old. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Isn't that true? We think I will experience gratitude when my circumstances change. And into that mess comes the wisdom of God's word, which says actually gratitude is a practice where you learn how to say God. You say, thank you, God. And your heart will often follow. Psalm 100 is a prayer about how to say thank you to God. How do I know that? Because that's how the psalmist begins. Will you look at it with me now? Now we'll go to the place where we get wisdom from God to his word. You see what he says right out of the gate? He says, a psalm for giving thanks. You say, what's Psalm 100 for? Oh, it's a psalm for giving thanks, <laughs> right? And every single phrase in this psalm is teaching us how to be people who practice gratitude. Let me read it, and you can read along on the printed page with me. Here's how it goes. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people. We're the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. An amazing psalm. So beautiful. Only five verses, and yet this is dripping with meaning. And every phrase, if you looked back over it, every verb, every command 
is calling us to be people who practice gratitude in the way that we sing, in the way that we praise, in the way that we shout, in the things we know, in the way that we enter into God's presence. Every phrase of Psalm 100 would teach you how to say thank you to God if you took the psalm and you dropped it into the middle of your prayer life. And what I want to do today in the time that we have is I want to break this psalm down under three headings I think will help you organize it, especially if you are taking notes, which you do, we recommend around here, but there's actually, there's three sort of headings that all this psalm falls under, and the headings go like this. They all start with the letter A, because I want to help you out, okay? So they go like this. The first, the first heading is apprehend God, which is just a fancy way of saying no, but I needed a word that started with A, so I chose apprehend. Apprehend God, that's the first thing you need to do. The second thing you need to do is approach God. And then finally, adore God. Apprehend him, know God. You say, what's the connection between knowing God and gratitude? Well, we're going to talk about it. Apprehend God, then approach God, and then adore God. Let's walk through those this morning in the time we've got. We begin with what we know, apprehending God. We look at it, it's right there in verse 3. The psalmist says, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us. We're his. We're his people, the sheep of his pasture. But he says, this is something you, you need to know. Now, this phrase is, it's interesting for us because we don't normally use the word know as a command. We don't normally command people to know something, but the, sol- the psalmist is onto something. He knows that if you want to become a person who grows in gratitude, the way into deeper gratitude is to know God more deeply. Not just to know things about God, although that's a part of it, but to know those things in a deeply personal way. And so he calls the people, know God. Actually, that word apprehend means it's more convictional, it's more personal. It's almost like reaching out and grabbing it for yourself. That's what the psalmist has in mind. He says, I don't want you to just know things about God. I want you to know God deeply because as you grow in your knowing of God, your gratitude will erupt. There's a logic in the Bible, and the logic goes like this. In Scripture, there's a direct connection between knowledge and gratitude. It's right here in Psalm 100, when you notice the relationship between verse 3 and 4, if you look at your Bible, the eruption of thanksgiving in verse 4, the gratitude is a result of the knowing in verse 3. Whatever it is that they came to know about God was so marvelous that they broke out into thanksgiving. Amazing. The psalmist knows the more deeply you know God, the more deeply you'll want to express gratitude to him. Isn't that true? But you know what? The, the reverse of that statement is also true. If I, don't f- if I don't have this longing desire to say thank you to, thank you to God, it's probably because I don't really know what I've got. I don't really get it. Isn't that interesting? 
This principle was driven home for me last Christmas morning by my nephew, Ethan, age seven. All right? It was one of those Christmas mornings, it was idyllic, where every person would open a gift and they would erupt with gratitude, right? It was like the cover of a Nat King Cole Christmas album. It was marvelous. We gave our daughter her Christmas gift and she was so thankful she started weeping. And I was like, this is a great day. And so as I walked over to my nephew, Ethan, I thought, this is going to be that kind of moment. And this was, it was a very different kind of moment, all right? Because what I bought my nephew, age seven, I bought him a game that I loved as a child, and that game is called Simon. Do you remember this game? I have a picture of it. Okay, if you're over the age of 40, you love this game, right? <laughs> He's seven. He had no idea. Okay, we bought this at Thinker Toys, which is a clue, because when you had thinking with toys, they become less fun immediately. <laughs> so we bought this game. It's a memory game, right? This kid had no idea what this was. And here was the moment. I handed him the gift. I was waiting for him to jump into my arms and hug me. He pulled out the box. He opened the present. He looked at it with consternation. And I kid you not, here's what he did. He took the game Simon and he slowly slid it past his head and dropped it behind his back. <laughs> and he didn't say a word from that day forward. <laughs> it's like, okay. Isn't that great? Do you know what? As crazy as that is and as ridiculous as that is, do you know how often we do that with truths about God? We hear a truth, we read a truth in God's word, and we go, not quite sure. And we just drop it. And so God says, wait a minute, slow down. Think about this for a minute. We look at verse three, think of the truths that the psalmist presented to us about God that caused the people of Israel to experience so much gratitude that they shouted at the top of their lungs, thank you. He said, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We're his people. The psalmist has saying so much here. He's saying, first of all, there's only one God. His name is Yahweh, the Lord. Now you got to remember the people of Israel, they lived in a culture of polytheism. It was a culture where the, the faith systems believed in multiple gods and it was really bad news. Because in a culture of polytheism, the gods are irrational and they're, 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 they have the same temperament as human beings and you have to appease them and you have to know which god reigns over which part of your life so that you can make sacrifices. And it was a crazy-making affair. And then along comes monotheism, the, the Judeo-Christian faith where God says, there's only one God and I am he. And I'll even share it with you, my personal name. My name is Yahweh. And the people of Israel rejoiced because God had chosen them to be his people. River West, this is good news. This is good news to know God, to realize God decided in his grace to reveal himself to me and to you and to our community. It's a cause for the kind of thanksgiving where you shout. The psalmist says, did you know that God created you and you belong to him? 
Look at it, verse 3. The creation that he's talking about is not not Genesis 1 type creation, although that's true. This is not when God made people out of nothing. This is the moment when God created the nation of Israel, the people. So the language here goes back to the book of Exodus when the Lord said, I'm going to redeem you out of slavery. I'm going to take this people. There's no reason I would choose you other than I choose you. And I'm going to redeem you, and it's going to be incredibly costly. I'm going to rescue you out of slavery, and I'm going to make you my people. I will be your Lord and God, and you will be my people. And the people of Israel rejoiced, and they said, thank you. And today, that people, the people of God, do you know who it is? We're, we're sitting here. <laughs> this is it. And God, it was very costly for God to redeem us and purchase us out of slavery. It cost him the blood and the life of his son, Jesus Christ, to purchase us and save us and form us into his people. And when you get that, you realize, God, I want to praise you. I want to thank you to be a part of this, to know, God, that you are my shepherd. Look at that. God says, I'm your shepherd. I'll lead you. I will provide so beautiful. Here's what happens. As you grow and as you learn, as you press more deeply into what you know about God, gratitude begins to erupt. It's so good. This is why River West, on every Sunday morning, until the day that Jesus comes back, we will do exactly the same thing. You will sit down. We will worship. A pastor will stand up and say, pull out your Bible and let's hear from the word of the Lord. And we'll learn about who God is and we'll come to know him more deeply. And you know what will happen? We'll erupt with gratitude as we come to know him more. Amen? Isn't that beautiful? That's why when we get to the part of the service after the message where we worship, there's this almost like this involuntary expression of gratitude because we've, we've encountered the living God. But it's also why we value community because coming to know God is a community affair. I need you to know God more deeply and you need me and you need each and you need one another. We learn about who God is as we experience God in community together. I've been in situations where I've been reading the Bible in a small group and someone will say, oh, this is how this impacted me. And I'll think, oh my gosh, I didn't even see that there. And my own experience of who God is is enhanced as I hear your experience in his word. Beautiful. Are you in a community group? Are you in a Bible study? Are you in the river? Do you have other people in your life that are pressing on you to know God more deeply? I hope so. I hope so. So the psalmist invites us. He says, know God, apprehend God. But that's not all. He also invites us to this unbelievable privilege. He says, approach God. Will you look at it with me? It's verses 2 and 4 in Psalm 100. We're invited into God's presence two times. And there's a reason for that. We need to be reminded of what a privilege this is. In verse 2, the psalmist says, Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. That phrase, come into his presence, literally in the Hebrew, it, it means come face to face with God. So when the Hebrews thought about 
being in God's presence, they thought of it as literally being able to look upon the face of God. This is amazing. I'm going to come back to that truth at the end when I'm going to tell you something about Jesus. But then in verse 4, he repeats the invitation, and he says, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. If you just look at that verse for a minute, this is a vision of the people of Israel, God's people, and they've been invited into the sanctuary. So the courts and the gates represent the entrances into the holy place, the sanctuary of the living God, the temple, where God's presence dwelled on earth. And the people recognized, this is an immense privilege. And as they entered into the presence of the living God, they erupted with thanksgiving because they got it. They got what a privilege it was. So we don't get this. We moderns, we've lost sight of this. And if we're not careful, we could become cavalier about what a privilege it is to be invited by God into his presence. But the people of Israel knew this is the spiritual center of the universe to enter the temple. They knew there is no place on earth that I more want to be than right there in the presence of the living God. Amazing. It causes an outburst of thanksgiving. I never understood the wailing wall in Jerusalem until I went to Jerusalem. It's the Western Wall. Maybe you've heard of it. You go to Jerusalem and you, and you go into the heart of the city where the old temple mound used to be, the temple. The only part of that temple that still stands is a wall. It's called the Western Wall. And we refer to it as the Wailing Wall. And when you go there, you've seen the images of, of, of Jewish people who have come to pray and they've written notes to God and they've tucked them between the stones and then they wail and they cry and they repent. And I always wondered, why are they wailing? Why is it called the Wailing Wall? Until I went on a tour. So we, we did a tour where we traveled along the wall, the part of the wall that's exposed, but then you go down underneath the city. I know many of you have done this tour. You can actually, they've, they've excavated now down underneath the city of Jerusalem, and you can go 30 or 50 feet down below the level of the current city, and you're still at the base of the wall, the western wall, 2,000-year-old and older stones that are still there. And the tour guide was this really devout Jewish young man. He was very emotional, very passionate. And we got to this place where we were in a tunnel and it was damp and dark and moist and you could smell like ancient stone. And he said, I want you to stop and I want you to put your hand on the wall. And we all stopped and we had our hands on the wall. And he said, do you know what's on the other side of that wall right there. We're in the place that is closest to the original Holy of Holies, the place where God's presence dwelt. And he said, now you know why the people of Israel wail, because we're now on the outside of it. The temple, the temple's destroyed. Jerusalem, if you know, it's very syncretistic. Many faiths Christians, Jews, Muslims. The Muslims actually have been given possession of the Temple Mount. They've built their own thing. And the Jewish people now, whereas before they experienced verse 4, walking into God's presence, shouting praises and 
prayers of thanksgiving, now they find themselves on the outside and they're wailing. Amazing. Amazing. Of course, we know now as believers, God does not dwell in buildings of stone or drywall with really nice sweeping, like, you know, the God does not dwell in a physical structure, right? Where does God dwell? In the house of the living God, in the gathered church. What a privilege to be here, folks. You know what the writer of Hebrews said? He got this. So the writer of Hebrews was preaching. I'll put this on the screen so you can read it. He said, do you know how much it cost God to form us into a people were invited into his presence? It was incredibly costly. The writer of Hebrews said, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, and through the wall, that is, through his flesh. The writer of Hebrews said, there's a new way. There's a new way through the curtain. You can now enter into the presence of the living God. It's the most desirable place to be, but it's also the most dangerous place to be because God is holy. And so you enter covered in the blood of Christ. Sins forgiven. God sees you through the righteousness of Jesus and then you're invited into his presence. What a privilege. The writer of Hebrews continues, he says, let us draw near then with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he goes on, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And then look at this. I never understood the connection. The very next thing he says is, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. You know how many years I read Hebrews 10 and thought, how did we go from invited in through Christ, his blood, to the writer of Hebrews saying, stir each other up, so that you will not neglect meeting together. Why? What's the connection? The writer of Hebrews knows. We begin to take this for granted. We don't get it. We say things like, I'm going to church today. No, I'm not. Do you know where I'm going today? I'm entering into the presence of the living God, and it cost him everything. What a privilege. What a joy. The people of Israel would walk in and they would erupt with gratitude. And so do we. So do you. I've seen it. I've seen it. It's a high calling, River West. It's a privilege. And God says, I'm inviting you in today, anew. Isn't that good? Praise the Lord. Know God, approach God. And then there's just one more. He says, now, now you're in God's presence. Adore him. That's verse five. We look at it with me. Adore God. How do you say thank you to God? We'll talk about some things that are true about him like this. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. 
and his faithfulness to all generations. I think what's happening here is that the psalmist is saying, once you, once you realize you're in God's presence, the only thing that you really want to do is adore him. You just want to look up past your circumstances, past what's going on in the world, and you just want to behold how awesome God is, and you want to begin to tell him about it. And you go, I don't know what to say. What, 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 are, what are truths about God that I could say? Well, go to the Psalms. Go to Psalm 100. Go other places. But here's the thing. There's a, there's a, a gem hidden in here, a principle about gratitude. And the principle is this. The most amazing blessing about being a Christian is not what you get from God. It's the fact that you get God himself. That's the blessing. Are there blessings from God because you know Christ? Absolutely. But blessing number one is I actually get God. I get to know him. I get to love him and follow him and worship him and see him. And the psalmist says, say all that. Tell him that he's good. Tell him that he's faithful. Tell him that he's loving. Make it a practice. Can I make you a promise? If you start to say thank you to God in this way, even if you're not feeling it, the emotions will follow. They always do. They always do. In a minute, we're going to pray about that together. Pastor Colin has written a song, a, a prayer that we're going to say together as a church. And I'm going to invite him and his worship team to come up and get ready to lead us in worship. But there's one last thing that I, I need to tell you about. See, if we stop here, we're actually missing something critical. And so what I want to do to finish our Psalms series is I want to go back and tell you again something that I said on week number one, and it was actually pretty audacious claim that I made. I wonder if you remember it. Here's what I said. I said, every psalm is ultimately about Jesus. Do you remember that? I said, every psalm is pointing us ultimately to the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can never fully understand the psalms until you trace their arc all the way forward in redemptive history to the moment when God, in the fullness of time, fulfilled all of his promises by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to pay for human sin. You can read a psalm, but you'll never know the answer to it if you don't know Jesus. You can pray a psalm, but your prayer will never go all the way to the bottom of the well if you're not praying it through a relationship with Jesus. God has said, I want you to know me. I want you to approach me. I want you to adore me. And then finally God says, I'm going to allow that to happen through the person and work of my son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to close with my favorite verse, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. It's on the screen and this will lead us to worship. Think about this. Think of the themes of Psalm 100. See, Paul got it. And so he said that the very same God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God 
in the face of who? In the face of Jesus Christ. We get to look on the face of God. And you know where we see the full glory of God? We see the full glory of God in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. Do you know Christ? Do you, have, you, have you confessed your sins at the foot of his cross? Have you let go of control of your life and flung yourself at the feet of Jesus Christ who is Savior and Lord? God's inviting you today if you haven't. Find a new way of praying, a new way of knowing God through his son, Jesus. Today is the day to turn your life over to him. And if you haven't, I'm inviting you to do that as we worship, as we pray. Colin's gonna lead us in a prayer of gratitude and then we'll sing. God bless you, River West. Let's worship.